Welcome everyone to another version of our uh, digital Ignatian conversations. I'm joined again by Mr. Christian Estran of the Theology and Campus Ministry Department. He has uh, proposed an idea uh, for another conversation to reflect on our times, a time when our normal patterns are disrupted, when we are not in our normal routines, not unlike a time when St. Ignatius ended up uh, recovering from the wounds that he suffered. So um, this is a societal reality that has disrupted us and made us think about solitude in a different way, how we relate to one another and gives us, hopefully, an opportunity to reflect on the patterns on our, of our life and lead us to a deeper discernment. So Christian, I'll let you say a little bit more about what prompted this idea or what, say more about the idea itself. Yeah, uh, so recently one of the reflections I've been doing is just reading back through A Pilgrim's Journey um, as, uh, you know, I, I really felt like I have had some time to do some, some own, my own sense of interior reflection and also um, just spend some more time to pay attention to, I think, the basics of Ignatian pedagogy. Um, and so for me, I just wanted to start with the source material itself, which is Ignatius's own autobiography. Um, in the last couple of days, I, I have finished reading through all of the Pilgrim's Journey, but I still keep coming back to the idea of, in our last conversation, we talked about daydreaming. Um, and I really wanted, in my own reflections, to get to the, to the root cause of what allowed Ignatius to daydream in the first place. Um, and really what I kept coming back to was that after Pamplona, after the cannonball, after he chose to have elective surgery at Loyola, he had months of solitude. I mean, essentially, you know, it was a, a self-imposed solitude, which is, I think, a little different than our, our current context. But he had solitude um, nonetheless, and it was that solitude and that space of being taken out of his previous life, of his previous everyday routine, and having to be confined to one space with really only so many things to access before he got bored um, that he was able to dream and really engage in, a, in the beginnings, I would say, of his discernment process. Um, and I think to me that just realizing that solitude was at the core of that process for him and that a lot of us are in that same kind of present environment right now. Because um, I think in, in reality, for a lot of people, you can only watch so much Netflix before your eyes don't want to look at a screen anymore. No, it's a great topic, a timely topic of this reality that in this age of coronavirus, COVID-19, where we're separated from one another, we, we were in a sol forced solitude. Um, and then, though, we still have choices about how we'll spend our time, right? And I think maybe now, more than ever, people are confronted with exactly what you're talking about. The normal routines that we use to distract ourselves. Um, might not have the same appeal as they normally do. Um, and it's an invitation, I think, hopefully not just to boredom, um, but rather to a deeper exploration. In some ways, it could be very similar, as you point out, to the situation of St. Ignatius. So after uh, he was injured in battle and recovering there uh, at uh, the Loyola uh, family home for Tower, um, he, he didn't find as much satisfaction with the things that normally 
gave him pleasure. In that case, it was the reading of the, the lives of the knights and the, the romances of the day, perhaps in some ways equivalent to our contemporary use of Netflix or, or other things, right? These are things that usually provide a nice distraction, can provide new information, open up new worlds. There can be a lot of value to that. And yet at the same time for Ignatius, as appealing as those stories were in his normal life, in that period of solitude, where he was disconnected from the normal rhythm, he didn't find that deeper satisfaction that he did in reflecting on larger goals, on things bigger than himself, on eventually then this religious life. So it's like, I think a great example is we're in this space where we're saying, hey, you know, some of these things that I do normally aren't giving me the same satisfaction. Maybe I should look at some other things that might be helpful in finding that deeper meaning. Yeah, I, I definitely, I think that's right. Um, you know, as, as someone where both of us do a lot of retreat ministry in our everyday life, um, you know, I'm struck by the fact that uh, I get to choose to go on retreat and I get to step away from the world. And now those are the highlights of my year every year, right? When I enter into spaces of solitude and reflection, um, and I get a chance to reflect on where my life is going and how I'm doing interiorly. And people all the time talk about wanting to withdraw and take some time for themselves. Um, and what we find right now is that everyone is having time for themselves, uh, unless you're someone who's in an essential industry, which is, which is different, uh, very obviously. But we are, are finding a societal moment where, in a way, we are all given the chance to enter into that kind of retreat mentality of self-reflection. Um, and I also think that, um, you know, Ignatius himself, just thinking about our present moment as well, in that solitude, he had a lot of anxiety about what was going on and what direction he wanted to choose. Um, and I think that is not so different from our, our present moment for a lot of people, certainly myself, but a lot of anxiety of our present moment as well. And, and where are we going to go um, individually and collectively as, as a community after these events are over? You know, that's, that's a really interesting point that I hadn't been thinking about before, but just the unsettledness of society. Because if we think of Ignatius's time, actually there was, there was a lot of unsettledness there as well. Different, um, certainly they had disease and plague and were probably more affected by that, certainly more affected by that than we are day to day in, in our times. But also that he lived in a time of great religious uncertainty. Uh, with the, the age of the Reformation, with a lot of new religious movements, with a lot of questioning of beliefs, he himself suffering from, for sometimes his ministry, ending up uh, in prison, under the Inquisition, being evaluated. Very uncertain times, right? Um, which can lead to uh, parallel in different ways, but at least to a sense of uncertainty in our times. I think as we think about that, um, and think about, as you were pointing out, we are in ministries where we do that kind of work a lot, but many people aren't. They're not familiar with this time or with this routine. Uh, it might be useful to think about what, what kind of ideas or suggestions or things would we offer to people. I, I think first of the way that, you know, St. Ignatius went through a lot of different rhythms in life from that early recovery, then to his time in, in Manresa, where he was also in a lot of solitude. 
and confronted a lot of challenging difficulties of back and forth uh, unsettledness of spirit to then later him kind of as the leader of the Jesuits and giving the spiritual exercises. And one of the things I think about if we look at his life and history is the way that he was able to use uh, structure and guidance in a way that was both uh, helpful to giving a form to prayer, to solitude, and yet also a great openness to what might come. So for example, on the spiritual exercises, there'll be a number of different prayer experiences. The days when you're in solitude can be quite structured in a sense, but the structure is one that is very open. You're in a position of structure or prayer so that you can be open to whatever it is that God is inviting you. So that's one thing I think I've been reflecting on a little bit, uh, how important it can be to have a structure uh, or a routine, but not for the sake of the structure itself. It's not the structure or the routine uh, that will kind of give me a deeper purpose or meaning, but rather that will help me have the right posture, the right openness, uh, so that I can discern deeper. I can listen to God deeper. What are some things that, that along those lines that you, you might? No, I, I think that's, that's really insightful, Bob. And I think it's true, right? That when you look at retreats and when we, we take time apart, um, we never enter into spaces where we just tell people, okay, go for five days and do whatever you want in a current, in any setting we're at. It's not that kind of loose, unstructured time. Rather, we have a structure and a format to help people guide and format their own thoughts. And so while, you know, the freedom is there for people to develop their own thoughts and reflections, and certainly that's encouraged in those times, the structure itself is used to help move people through different movements of discernment and reflection. Um, absolutely. And I think that's important too, when we look at the spiritual exercises in Ignatius, is that he develops through his own wandering, really without structure, he pulls a structure out of that to help others. Um, I think uh, in many ways, avoid some of those stumbles that he found um, because really the spiritual exercises, uh, when I, again, when I'm looking at the pilgrim's journey, it comes from him taking notes of his own spiritual movements in his notebook. Um, and really the structure that, that we're talking about is one that's drawn from the practical experiences of Ignatius himself. And so it's a method that comes out of praxis um, in everyday life rather than um, a method that's developed, you know, kind of away from the world. I think that's really important to think about that. That structure itself is what leads to the interior freedom of the spirit in many ways. I think I think that's a great point as well that you you mentioned about how much it's a it's a practical focus. It's rooted in daily life. If there's a characteristic of Ignatian spirituality, I think that that's one of them. Uh, that it it pays attention to our context and our reality, right? And I think that can be one of the values of um, an approach of Ignatian spirituality in our current context, um, is that it says, okay, it's not what we should be in an ideal way. It's saying, where are we and what do we need and what will help draw us closer to God? And part of that then I think I just highlight is that we're all different, right? That's part of the beauty too of paying attention to who we are in our context in the spiritual journey. Some of us are introverts, some of us are extroverts. Uh, some of us need a lot of uh, 
exercise and activity. Some of us don't, right? Some enjoy reading, some enjoy watching movies. This variety of things to begin then to say, uh, okay, how can I discern, how can I draw closer to God, isn't just to grab what has worked for other people, but rather to look and say, okay, who am I? And, and what do I need? And in the process of doing things, are there movements inside? Are there places where I feel a sense of deeper satisfaction and fulfillment than others? And to know that that might not be the same for someone, it won't be the same for someone else. It might not be the same for uh, a good friend, a, a spouse. They could have different ways of drawing closer to God. Um, but for all of us, there is a way that's accessible, but it comes through paying attention to our context and to our personality. Yeah, and I, I think that's really true from, from where my thoughts go, um, from what we've been talking about, is that context matters is in a retreat setting, right? So when we take students or adults or, or other faculty um, or even myself, um, I really have to reflect on my context and what my context is going to be when I leave that retreat space, um, when, I, when I am entering into those spaces. And I think that's true of where we're at right now, this kind of forced solitude of retreat time for a lot of people is that this isn't, while this is take, going to take a while now in the moment we're at because of coronavirus, there is an end at some point to all of this is happening. We have to transition back into the contexts that were put on hold um, because of, you know, this public health crisis. And I think as we are, we are all called to sit here and reflect in this time, um, it's important not to lose sight of that either. And I think Ignatius knew that as well when he's sitting in, you know, the castle at Loyola healing up, is that he was dreaming knowing there was going to be a time when he had to re-enter the world and he had to choose what that context was going to be. There was always a, 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 kind of a, a line of thought in his reflection and even in his daydreaming, right? That he was trying to decide what type of context, what type of person am I going to be when this time of solitude is over? And I think that's a great question for kind of all of us to draw into our own sense of reflection as well is, is who do I wanna be and in what context do I wanna place myself when our time of solitude ends mm. as a society? No, I think that's a great point to reflect on. Um, the, uh, the way that ultimately um, any spiritual, authentic movement towards God is also a movement to other people. It's also a movement out into the world. It's a movement to service, right? Um, which can take many different forms. But sometimes I think people will uh, they'll get confused about the idea of thinking that spirituality uh, retreats or other things is just for them. It, it can feel like it's just a totally interior thing. But as we know from the life of Ignatius uh, and just what you were saying there, we go to this interior space. We take time away from our daily routine so that we can more fully enter into it in the right way once we go back. The intention of uh, the sol intentional solitude in a retreat is always to help us know ourselves better and know how God is inviting us as we move back out. So I, I think that's a really important point. And, and one just to keep in mind, as you're saying, for, for this situation, we will come back out. And the question is not just how I spend my days now, 
but how I'm shaped in this time of solitude so that I can act in the world in a way that's in deeper alignment with what God is inviting me to do. Um, I often will say, I think with people sometimes that one of the, the hallmarks to know, you know, because people all, always often wonder like, well, how do I know if this is God's voice or if this is God's invitation? One, one of the characteristics, I think, of the way that God invites us is towards greater generosity. If the things that you feel you're drawn to are ones that are moving you towards a greater generosity, it, that's often a characteristic that, okay, there's something of God in this. It's not the only factor. It's not the only thing. We're not just asked to do more and more and more. That's, that's not uh, either the way it works. But to notice as we look back over our reflections and our thoughts about what we're called to do and how we're called to live our lives is in that a openness to greater generosity. And generosity can be expressed in many different forms. You know, often sometimes we'll think of it just as like uh, heroic service to others, which is certainly one of the ways, and we're seeing many great examples of that uh, right now. But that generosity we could be invited to could be simply how we relate to our family members, how we relate uh, to those that are immediately around us. That also can be a type of generosity. So looking to that, how are we called to be back out in the world and with others is a really important part of any uh, intentional spiritual experience of solitude. No, I, I think that's right. Um, that our reflection always has to be recognizing that even though we're in solitude individually, we, we exist in community. And that, that's a fundamental part of, um, really, if you look at that Jesuits, when they go through the spiritual exercises uh, of understanding that they always are going back to live in community, even if they're retreating and taking that time of solitude individually, is that they always have to be mindful of their context. Um, and I think that that's just that's so important for, for us and for myself right now. Um, you know, I know at the end of this, I, I'm still doing ministry while we're in coronavirus. I think we're both doing ministry actively, certainly through um, video production, making things like this. Um, but I think it's, it's a really helpful time to think about and dream about the communities that we're going back to and taking time to say, what kind of impact and change do we want to make that we may not have been able to envision before because we were so stuck in the moment of doing the work itself. And I think that that's an important part is to, to realize that um, we may have, we may all have the opportunity to really make some, some big changes and improvements um, and I think to, to go from many of those things that we always say are aspirations for all of us and really discern if that's the way that our organization, um, or our community as we're a part of it is called to move in the right direction anyway. And I think that's a really important part of solitude is to look forward and say, is this something that does, um, I think you said generosity, is this something that brings out all the generosity and all the life affirming qualities of consolation in our community um, and is that a, a direction that we really want to pursue as a whole and for myself individually as well you know as we we think about this time and and kind of this idea of well how can we use this this time of solitude to uh, for this purpose for discernment I, I think it's really helpful to to look at that example of saint ignatius that you were mentioning at the very beginning and say, 
it could be a time to imagine new possibilities, right? One of the gifts of this time is it's that it is a possibility. We're forced to imagine new realities. We're in a different reality than we would have ever imagined uh, in many respects, right? But if we're seeking intentionally other ways to, um, to use the solitude, we could, following the example of St. Ignatius, look to stories of deeper meaning. That could be uh, things like in the case of him, of reading uh, religious, spiritual stuff for him. It was uh, Life of Christ, uh, Life of Saints. But there's also so many wonderful resources online uh, in terms of videos, um, uh, whether things that you know people are just putting together on YouTube, uh, digital examines to very uh, um, professional productions uh, that would be accessible. And then the other is just, uh, so that's feeding with kind of uh, things that help enrich our imagination. The other, of course, is the ability to enjoy nature as we're able, um, the simple recognition of, of the beauty of God's creation and the fact that in in any uh, simple scene, even, even in the city, you know, the, the trees, the flowers, uh, the beauty of, of even one uh, that opens up and points to uh, the creative uh, grace of God. And then just another piece is just simply being in the solitude, simply allowing yourself to be um, is a powerful uh, opportunity, even if it's as simple as a minute, two minutes, right? Um, and how that can help center and um, ground us. We, we know that. Uh, many of us will experience it. We might practice it. But now, if we're looking to things, how can I use this time um, for solitude, for deeper discernment, those would be some of the things that, that I might suggest that, that people look to. Not in a heavy way, not in a sense of obligation or duty, but as an invitation to say that there are, there is, I think, a natural desire to go deeper, and there are resources there for us uh, to, to choose. I certainly think so, yeah, and I, and I think it's important to realize that you know, we're both talking about Ignatius and his story because I think that's kind of the root of our own personal formation. Um, but I think that one of the beauties of the structure of Ignatian spirituality is that you should look to your own context for those stories as well. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the lives of Jesuits or people from the Jesuit community itself that brings about that, that sense into the, to use another Jesuit term, the magis or the more, not meaning to do more, but to go deeper, to, gel, to delve into that deeper sense of understanding. Um, and I, I think I, it is important to just realize that in your own context, there's probably stories of colleagues or friends or people or family members that you might really wanna take the time to reflect on, think about, and see for yourself just in your own context, where is a way that I can, that I can take that next step into uh, a new a new reality or to dream that new dream of something that's more life-affirming and life-giving than where you were before all of this started. Absolutely, I'll, um, you know, mention what I think, you know, uh, in our earlier conversation, we pointed to daydreams. 
in the, the way that even something as simple as daydreams can help us imagine a different future. And then I had a conversation with, uh, with Doug, Doug Brown on poetry, um, poetry and discernment and the ways that things like uh, poetry, novels, literature, the creative process, art, or all other great avenues in. I'll also make a pitch that uh, Father Frank Buckley over at uh, Blessed Sacrament Church is doing a, a morning meditation each, each morning where he's just kind of leading people through is another great example. And one of the things I think that we're seeing at this time is how much these resources are now are, are being put online and, and are accessible to so many others. So every day, uh, there's wonderful things happening in terms of meditation and other stuff, but they have never been as accessible as they are now. So I think just that additional encouragement to continue to, to look, um, look for those. Um, any other thoughts that you were, anything else you were thinking about? No, I think that's a good plug. People, um, use the time in solitude to listen to other stories and let that, uh, influence you and your willingness to dream a new dream and to yeah. let let solitude do its work don't try and fill the space but let the space speak for itself i think is my my final thought mm -hmm. um i i think to end with a personal anecdote one of the things and the stories that i love to share with students before i invite them to join me in retreat ministry all the time is that my favorite activity every summer and whether or not i'll get to do it this summer i think is to be determined is that I uh, drive up into North Cascades National Park, which is one of the most remote parts of the US Canadian border. And I will hike 12 miles back into a remote fire watch and camp up there for two or three nights. Um, and the only thing I take with me is a journal. And I, I typically will fill a journal over three days of just thoughts and re reflections and just taking time to be present at 10,000 feet looking out over a mountain range with myself and God. And it's, it's that time of withdrawal, um, but I never force myself to write anything. I let the silence move and guide me at predetermined points of the day when I want to write. And I never try and think about what I'm going to write ahead of time. I just hold on to whatever thought that I'm having in the solitude, and I run with that. Hmm. And so that in times of solitude, uh, don't be afraid to go where the moment takes you. Um, because if you try and control the thoughts and reflections, you might be preventing the most life-affirming part of yourself from emerging from the masks that you wear in, in everyday life. Well, I think it's a great example of just how we can both um, create the space and then listen, right? So now that we can be intentionally, whether it's out in nature in a beautiful spot like that, or we're at home and just in a place where we're able to be alone and, and, and quiet, a little walk around the neighborhood, that we put our place, we put ourselves in the place, in the posture, so that we can be open to hear. And when we're in that place, um, that we, should, we should listen. We should allow ourselves to be as open as possible to whatever comes. And to make note of it, as you say, because in that, we can find uh, God's voice. God, who is, we believe, always speaking to us, inviting us, knowing that in those deeper desires, as we hear them, we're being invited to, uh, to a deeper life. 
I'll make a pitch here at the end too that um, I think related to all of this uh, sense of solitude is that even though sometimes we're out of our normal routine, we're alone in many ways uh, more than we are normally, we're also still with people. Um, and uh, whether it's virtually like this or just in the connections of what we do. And so I uh, also did a little conversation with some other colleagues from Loyola, uh, Doug Brown, uh, Caitlin uh, Pardo and Mara Balthazar, which will be upcoming is another form of conversation where we are examining the concept of for and with and what it means to be both for and with people and others uh, in this time of, uh, of isolation, of solitude. Uh, so keep an eye out for that as well. Christian, thank you as always for, for joining me. It is, uh, it's been great to be with you and look forward to future conversations. Thank you.